Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Hi there. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Anna David. And today I have a great guest. He's somebody that I interviewed for Entrepreneur Magazine last year. And we talked, first of all, I heard a word that I had never heard. I you know, pride myself on being quite savvy in the entrepreneurial world. Have you ever heard of an entrepreneur? If you have, you were ahead of me. I learned about that. And you, through this, will learn about what happens when you have a stroke the week of your big book release. Um, I talked to this wonderful guy about uh, surviving cancer, uh, the stroke, and how he's been able to Uh, experience this darkness and still find his light. Um, His name is Brian Kurtz. He's been a serial direct marketer for almost 40 years, and he actually has the longest bio I've ever seen. So I'm not going to read it. Instead, I'm going to tell you to go to overdeliverbook.com. Get that book. You heard what he went through to get you that book. Um, and y- he talks about wh- how he overdelivers in that book and that uh, and what you can get if you go to there. So go to that URL, overdeliverbook.com. And please, please, please enjoy my conversation with Brian Kurtz. Okay. So you were saying to me, Brian, you were not born with a silver spoon in your mouth, but 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 you didn't have a sort of I went bankrupt. I got it all. Like you had a slow and steady build, would you say? Yeah. I mean, it was like, uh, you know, I, I, I was born, you know, uh, well, I was born, a, you know, a poor child, but I was I was born to, you know, a middle class family. My, you know, I didn't have a lot, but I had enough. And my parents, you know, would say, um, you know, when I went to college, it was like, you can go to a state school or you can go to a state school. Right. So it was like, you know, and, and, but that was fine. And so I was used to that. And then my first job at a, at a college was like, you know, $9,000 a year. I got a big raise when I went to boardroom for 12,500 and it was like the biggest deal in the world. So that's kind of like my, my, uh, hero's journey, but it doesn't go through, you know, an attempted suicide. It doesn't go through bankruptcy. It doesn't go through those things. But it's an interesting story because, you know, I and I, I'm not a startup guy. I'm not like I'm an entrepreneur now, but I'm not a startup guy. So that's another thing that I don't have. But I went to a company with a guy who was an entrepreneur who took me under his wing. I became an intrapreneur. What is um, that? So an intrapreneur is a, you know, I had some entrepreneurial tendencies, but I didn't have this like burning need to to run my own company. But what Marty did, Marty Edelston, who was the founder of Boardroom, he was a control guy. But over time, when he trusted you, he started giving you more responsibility. And then, you know, 10 years into the company, I was, you know, became a partner in the company. I got a lot more freedom to do what I wanted to do. 
with his, you know, with his blessing, of course. And then he had a stroke in 2001. And at that time, I started running most of the marketing and we actually had our biggest years ever, not bragging, it just happened. Um, biggest years ever in 2005, six and seven, when we got into the infomercial business and we got into a lot of other things. So, you know, it was a gradual, as you said, it was a gradual build to something that was very entrepreneurial, but I didn't have to worry. I mean, I had to worry about the payroll as a, you know, as a, as a team, but I didn't have like all of that on my head. I didn't. So I don't, no, I, I never want to, you know, say I'm, I'm somebody that I'm not. And so I'm not the guy, you know, that had the total purse strings all the time, but I was involved in all those decisions. And that I think prepared me very well for when I went out on my own five years ago. And so, but it's all, you know, it's all my story and it's what I got and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good, but it's, you know, I, I, if anybody is, is, is tuning in to, hear an amazing uh, hero's journey, it's a little different than a lot of the ones I disagree. I still don't know what entrepreneur means, though. It, it means that you're in an entrepreneurial company and you're given the leeway to be entrepreneurial in the company. Wow. So you get to, you get to, you know, uh, call some of the shots, but not all of them. And over time, I got to call all of them, but I wasn't calling them at the beginning. Um, it really is a I guess it's a, uh, it's, it's really taking on the responsibility slowly, not jumping into owning the business and owning everything and every decision. And that was, you know, and so I, I really felt like an entrepreneur, even though I didn't start the company. That's probably the best definition. Um, it kind of sounds dreamy, frankly. It is because I didn't have to launch it and I didn't have to go through the growing pains of, you know, I got to the company in 1981. It was a, about a $5 million company. And I look at my trajectory in that company to when I left to 2015 and in our height, we were at, we were at like 157 million. Now, so I could see myself as a business grower but not necessarily someone who's going to start a $157 million business. I had to do it with a partners and a lot of staff and all of that. Um, I, knowing I did that, now I'm not interested in staff. I'm not interested in overhead. I'm not interested in any of those things because I did it for 40 years. And now I, my, my goal is to teach it. So that's kind of my story. Okay, so things are going along. You have, um, you know, according to you, you know, a pretty normal-ish, normal for a very successful person. And then your struggles came later, as in very recently. So let's talk about those. Yeah, so I mean, the first one wasn't life or death, but I had, I, I was uh, diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2008. Um, that wasn't, you know, I, I got diagnosed. It was stage two. I realized that I probably can get out of this pretty easily um, with surgery. And I was 50 years old. And it was like, okay, they, the, the guy said, look, you can, you can wait. You cannot wait. But you're 50 years old. You play tennis. You umpire baseball. You're active. You should, you know, probably get your prostate taken out. And chances are, 
you're going to die of something else besides prostate cancer. And that's what I did. Um, it, di- it wasn't a big setback. It really wasn't. Um, I think it might have been a setback more for you know other people, but it wasn't a big setback for me. But it was a little bit of a wake-up call. I, I went on uh, after that, a couple of years after that, I realized that you know the, the, uh, the survival uh, nurses at Sloan Kettering, where I was being treated, said to me, look, I don't know why you got prostate cancer, but you're, you have a body that probably makes cancer. And so what are you going to do about it? And I didn't do anything about it for two years. And then all of a sudden, I got religion. I uh, went to Dr. Mark Hyman, who's an awesome functional medicine doctor, to his uh, ultra wellness center. I, 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 I swore myself off sugar. I swore myself off all gluten. Um, and I talk, took supplements. And I, you know, not that I became an Adonis, but I became like, you know, pretty good for 50 years old or 53 years old. And so that's the way, so that, that's the, the first like, you know, real, you know, but it wasn't like a come to Jesus moment because it wasn't like I was going to die. It wasn't like, um, that I felt that it was going to be, um, that this was the turnaround moment. Now I'm going to live. That wasn't at all. So then I go perking along, um, you know, I, I, I leave boardroom, I start my business five years ago, and I, I had written a book already, The Advertising Solution, which we did a, a piece in entrepreneur, entrepreneur story, yep. And then I wrote my, my opus, I wrote the book that I that, uh, over deliver that um, I've been working on it for the last year, and it comes out April 9th, and I had just finished like running a mastermind group. I was going to Chicago and Nashville and I came home and I was 61 years old and I went into the bathroom. I got up in the morning. I went into the bathroom. I kissed my wife. I walked out of the bathroom and I collapsed on the floor. Um, I, the only thing I remember was that the right side of my body was paralyzed. I couldn't lift my arm. It was like frightening, scary. Um, but then I think I passed out, so I don't even know what happened. Um, and th- this was, to clarify for anyone who's listening, who knows when, this is 2000, we're recording this in August of 2019, and this, this is April. April. Okay. April, right, right. So April 10th, 2019, um, uh, my wife, you know, alertly called 911, rushed me to the hospital, um, I was out. I don't know what happened. I don't know what a big, I mean, I don't know what was happening with my family when they were there and what they were doing. And I must've gotten up an hour, a day later, two days later. And, um, I had an, a, a, a very severe stroke. I was, um, basically, uh, I, I woke up and the doctors didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Um, I clearly was not paralyzed, so that was a good thing. Um, I lost sight in my left eye. That's probably the only thing. And Still. Then as, what's that? Still. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I lost the sight. That, that's gone. Um, but I started walking around the hospital, and they were checking me out and testing me and all of that. And they basically said to me that you're in a 5% group that would have this stroke, and have this outcome. Wow. That, and so, you know, I was already grateful, 
you know, for my outcome because I was alive, but I was even more grateful that I only, you know, had this minor thing. So five days later, I checked out. I didn't have to go to physical therapy. I didn't have to go to speech therapy. And then the recovery began and I had to cancel my mastermind, which was in May, which was brutal. I had to cancel. And I, and I had all this stuff lined up to, to launch my book, you know, podcasts and all kinds of stuff. And it was, um, it was hard at first, but then I, I started canceling things and started clearing my schedule out and with an eye towards the fall when my next mastermind was, when I was going to do another speaking engagement. And I had to get, uh, I had to get ready for that. Um, it was, but again, interestingly, going back, you know, when I go back to 2008 with my cancer diagnosis and this, this was life or death. I mean, this was, I, I came that close to dying and I, I realized that I still didn't have a come to Jesus moment. And that was an epiphany for me because if I, it wasn't the mat, it wasn't a matter of how severe the health situation was. And it was a great feeling to know, even though I was a little depressed, even though I couldn't really function completely, I had to clear out my schedule and all that. I realized that if I had died, I, I wouldn't have known it. I I woke up and I didn't have this feeling like, oh, now I have to live. Um, and it was very, with all the, the the rough feelings I was having at the time, it was a very, um, every once in a while, I would just sit back and say, wow, I, you know, I don't like to talk about legacy because legacy sounds like you're dead. And so, but I think my legacy, I mean, the fact that I had, I wrote the book, the fact that I developed this uh, site for my book that was this um, incredible resource site, overdeliverbook.com, that had 11 amazing bonuses from my mentors, Alive and Dead. Um, and I had put out, not only then, but I had put out over 40 years, a decent amount of stuff. And it was it enough? I don't know. I mean, you know, in, 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 in Hamilton, uh, the show Hamilton, they say, there's a song in there, Alexander Hamilton. They say, you know, why do you write like you're running out of time? I don't think I was doing stuff because I was running out of time. I was just at a pretty good pace because I wanted to keep moving. I wanted to keep doing. And so, so a couple of things after, you know, after I started, and now I'm back, you know, moving, I'm doing podcasts, I'm, I'm speaking to you, which is great. Um, and I'm realizing that um, I st I'm here and I have so much more to give. And that has been incredibly satisfying. The other thing that I thought about, and it's a movie I saw before my stroke, but I started thinking about it after my stroke, which is the movie Coco. I don't know if you've seen it. It's no, about Coco Chanel. No, it's Coco. It's, it's a, it's an animated Pixar. No. Okay. No. Watch it. It's amazing. Okay. Um, it's a kid's film, but it's not a kid's film. Yeah. And yeah. So it's a, um, and, and the, 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 the premise of the film is about, it's, it's Mexican and it's a Mexican film and it's about Dia de Muertos, which mm -hmm. is a holiday in Mexican tradition where once a year you celebrate the dead, you celebrate the people that, you know, that are in your family and people you admire. And it's not, uh, it, 
as far as I can tell, based on what they were doing in the movie, it was not a, um, a morning, a day of mourning. It was a celebration. And then the, you know, I won't give away the whole movie, but the, the, the premise is that you're only really dead when you're no longer remembered. So when you die, as long as you're remembered, you live on. Right. You're not remembered Mm -hmm. anymore. That's when you crumble and die. And I realized that I probably, you know, had a bunch of years to be remembered and that I wouldn't really die for at least a little while. And that was, you know, comforting to some degree when I thought about what could have been, you know, that I came, you know, very close to dying. And so that was really important. And then when I, I realized that my site, my overdeliverbook.com site was honoring mentors that were both dead and alive. And that was really, I, I didn't know it when I did it, but when I went back to look at the site and I honored, you know, people like Dick Benson and, and Gene Schwartz, who are greats of marketing and they're dead. And then I also had the honor of honoring Dan Kennedy and Gary Bensavenga and Jay Abraham, who wrote the forward to my book. And so that felt really good because why not be remembered while you're alive? So all of this was kind of like my unwrapping of the stroke. And, and it's been a, it's been a really, really great process. You know, I I don't want to say I'm glad I had a stroke. I'm glad I had a stroke because my mother who was, 94 and you know not the most agreeable person all the time um my stroke like turned her around i didn't you know she almost lost her her 61 year old son and she's 94 and she's in great shape and god that alone was like okay maybe maybe i should have a stroke you know every couple of years because she's going to be around for another another 10 or 15 so there were like so many i, I started looking at all the positives um despite, you know, having to battle through my recovery and battle through the sadness and battle through whatever I had to battle through. And I had not talked about it at at this level uh, yet, Um, maybe with my shrink, but I haven't really talked about it. And you put out a a post on Facebook and said, you know, I didn't know if it was going to be meaningful or not, but I said, what the hell? You said, you know, has there been a struggle? I think you said a struggle in Mm -hmm. life and how'd you get past it? And I just had happened to me. So I figured, what the hell, I'll call Anna and say- It was say, meant to be. Yeah, I think, I think there was a podcast here. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting. You said so many interesting things, Brian. I just, um, and, and, you know, consider this, uh, you know, therapy number two. It's just that everybody gets to listen. <laughs> I got to um, pay you another $185 an hour too? Oh, or? I'm 300. Oh, I'm 300? so sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, you know, it's, it, it, this is there. You said so many things that, um, that were just, I think would help so many people, you know, and I do want to say, yeah, I, I posted in the genius recover in the genius network group, you know, I decided to switch the focus of this podcast from being about recovery to being about overcoming any struggle. And what I'm fascinated by is why do some people have struggles and it, and they fall under the wave. And why do some people sort of surf the wave? Like, what is that? Who are these survivors? And I also love to talk to successful people about what they did. Um, 
And to show people, you know, from the outside, especially in our Instagram world, you know, it can look like, oh, look at this guy. He just, yeah, you front know. stage, backstage, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like he didn't even have to take a risk. An entrepreneur, whatever, I, the word you just taught me. And then he just gets to keep building and building. He's in strategic coach and, and genius network and all this stuff. And like, no, there, no, like nobody gets off scot-free. Um, That's but, true. That's a really good way to look at it. And, and I would say that... Um, if, if to answer the question, maybe, I'm not sure, but the answer to the question, not that I've lived my life perfectly, I've made a lot of mistakes, I still make mistakes, there, a couple of them are, are outlined in my book, but I think, I think the, the key to the before and after was that, and, and when I said I didn't have a come to Jesus moment, that now I can live, because I didn't live before, you have to live before, I mean, that's fairly obvious. But I think I was, I realized I was living a pretty good life and wasn't great, wasn't like great all the time. And I'm not, it, 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 you know, I don't do a lot of posting on Facebook because, you know, I think you got to post the bad stuff and the good stuff. And I don't want to post either. So it's okay. But I think, I think that I know that there's both. And, but I also know that net net, I've got a pretty good lifestyle, a pretty good life. And I'd like to be around for another 30 years. So yeah. it's, it, it's worth it. It's really worth it. And if I can do it, it's great. But I think you have to be like, have it, you have to have some kind of like steady state that says, okay, this is bad beforehand. This is bad, but I can get over it. And then afterwards, same thing. This is bad, but I can get over it. And it's kind of the same thing. The bad afterwards with the one with the stroke that I had was definitely difficult, but it was it was um, I'm not going to say I'm glad I had the stroke. I'm not going to say that. That's too cliche. But I had it. As you said, no one gets off scot free anytime. And you have to take each thing as it comes. And I did. And I I'm going to use it to my advantage because I have no other choice. And this idea of a legacy and, and your clear pride in your book. I want to talk about that. And the irony of it being called over deliver when mm-hmm. here you are potentially over delivering this book to the world. And this crisis happens that week. Have you thought about that? I did. You know, just recently I did another friend of mine said that, you know, there's a story I, she, I, yesterday, this, um, this woman said to me, isn't that, I mean, I, I didn't even think it was a story, but you know, that the day you were going to launch the day after you had a stroke and there's something to that, I think. I mean, and if it's not, we'll make it something, you know, yeah. worth it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so what did quote cause the stroke then? Did the doctors have theories? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was an AFib. So it was an irregular heartbeat that I could, I mean, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a heart monitor now to see if I'm an AFib all the time or mm-hmm. if it just was a one-shot deal. Um, but the AFib then caused a blood clot up here, I think. And that, you know, basically caused the blood flow to the brain to stop. And the, uh, thank goodness, there was a guy, the guy at the hospital, they had a, a, a neurosurgeon at the hospital who specializes in this, in this technique where you know, he goes up, you know, with a tube up, you know, not through your, not through your, through your butt, but through your like back hip. And uh-huh. he goes right up. He takes the clot out. I mean, this is, this is how they explained it to me, takes the clot out and, you know, 
And then you see what happens. You see what the damage is because it's a matter of how much time. It's a matter of probably what kind of shape you're in. Um, all, all these things go into it. And all I can say is, so that, that was the reason for it. Now I'm looking with a cardiologist about what, what might have been the cause of that. But I remember when I went to see that doctor, the, the neurosurgeon, probably two weeks after I got out of the hospital, and I walked into his office, you know, just like, you know, my arms were both moving, my legs were both moving, my mouth was moving, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he, he looked at me and he goes, I can't believe you're here. Right. And that's when it hit me that it, how severe it was. Cause I, my, my family, they were sitting in the, in the waiting room, like probably thinking, you know, it was touch and go, which it was. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have any sense of that because right. I got up, I was fine. And that's the first I got the sense that that was an, ama- that was an amazing moment. Right. And I realized what I put my family through. So then I started thinking, you know, how did I do, why did I do that? You know, how can I put my family through that? What a terrible thing to do. Right. Yeah. Um, not your fault. And, yeah. Not my fault, but you know, and uh, so between that and then learning recently that, you know, 5% of the people that have my kind of stroke, end up with basically that basic, basically very little, um, uh, you know, uh, 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 paralysis, um, um, uh, physical, uh, speech therapy, all that. Mm-hmm. that it was, it was, uh, it's kind of hit me a few times still. I mean, it's not over, but, um, it, it's hit me quite a few times, but I'm, I'm, I'm very much in action, you know, back in, you know, I'm doing my schedule is a little lighter. Um, mm-hmm. I really wanted to be on your podcast, though, so maybe this story is worth it. But I, I just wanted to tell it because it was, uh, and you know, the book is is kind of my focus, and my mastermind and my is my focus. And I'm going to be at Joe's at Genius Network in November. I can't wait. You know, I'm 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 looking forward to all the things that I was looking forward to that I had to cancel back in April, and and that is that's a gift. So let's talk about this book um, so people can get it on Amazon and these bonuses. Oh, let's talk about it. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't get it on Amazon. Um, go to overdeliverbook.com if you want to buy the book. You, um, you'll see an amazing bonus page. It's just phenomenal. Um, I have a Jay Abraham uh, course that he put together that he doesn't sell anymore. It cost him a couple hundred thousand dollars to do. And that's on there digitally. Uh, plus 21 keynotes that he gave. Um, I have two books in PDF form that are by pioneers in direct mail. Not that the book is about direct mail, but I, I, I talk about direct mail in the book, how paying postage made me a better marketer and how you know that prepared me for the internet and all of that. And those two books by Dick Benson and Gordon Grossman are phenomenal books and they're not readily available. Um, there's a, uh, swipe file from Dan Kennedy. There's a Bensavenga bullets. Gary Bensavenga is probably the best living copywriter. And he has these Bensavenga bullets and I just accumulated them and created a PDF. I have a swipe file, uh, going back to 1900 of some of the best direct mail. And you say, Oh, why do I want to look at direct mail? Of course you want to look at direct mail. You can, you know, you can get headlines and subject lines and all sorts of things and copy platforms from, from swipes. So it's, and, 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 and the beauty of it is that 
it's a, it's an over delivery of, I, I, you have a book called over deliver. You got to over deliver on the, yeah. on the bonuses. And it's also a direct marketing kind of rule of thumb that says always give the customer more than they ever would have wanted. So you got to give them enough to buy the book and the book's like $17 and the, the, the bonuses are worth thousands. Um, and I'm very proud of that too. I'm very proud of the, I'm as proud of the, of the bonuses as I am of the book. And uh, I think the book is, is good. I think, um, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's nothing in the book that I invented per se, but it's, it's things that are maybe not known by a lot of online marketers, like concepts like the 40-40-20 rule and RFM and lifetime value. And I, I probably tell, it, tell those concepts in stories that might be a way for um, a new audience to access it. And that kind of is my, is my mission. My mission mm-hmm. is like, I'm not going to tell you maybe anything you never heard of or that it's new, but I'm going to give you an understanding based on how I experience those concepts. And that's really, really important. And it all goes back to, everything goes back to one thing. It's something that, I guess Jay Abraham told me, he said, you know, those who did it have a responsibility to teach it. And he said, it's like, you know, when you're done doing it, make sure that you teach it. You, I mean, he said, leave a legacy, but I just want to leave enough. I want to leave the campsite clean, but I want to leave it with a lot of stuff that you can use and you can. And so I think it really fulfills on that promise. If I had died on April 10th, it still would have been there, you know, um, I, but now I'm more, I'm more, um, how should I say it? I'm more uh, uh, eager to share it and to make sure that I can share it with, you know, on podcasts and when I'm on stage and when I'm, you know, anywhere I can share it, I, I really want to share it. So, so overdeliverbook.com, it's a great site. Um, you go, it, it lets you go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, wherever you want to buy the book. You come back, you input your email address, then you get my blog every Sunday and you, um, uh, you put your order number in and you get access to these amazing bonuses. And why did you decide to release the book that way? You know, there were some people that told me, many people told me the only way to sell a book is free plus shipping and handling with a funnel. Yeah. And I thought about it. Um, I can, you know, buy the book at a fairly decent cost and probably be able to do that and create a course behind it and all, you know, an Ascension program to my mastermind and all of that. And I thought about it and I, I, Maybe because I'm well. Maybe because I'm too lazy to do that. I don't know. Um, but I. But I think the reason is that I didn't want to give away my book for free. I. Right. I didn't. Not that they have to pay a mint for it either. But I really believe that if if you believe in the content as much as I do with this book, then you know I I I my my I felt better about making them pay for it, but then over-delivering on the bonuses so they get thousands of dollars worth of stuff. They get on my list, and I don't do affiliates, but you know, I sell some of my other products. I talk about my mastermind, um, and someday there'll be people who bought my book that might end up buying more stuff from me. Mm-hmm. Do I have to put them in a funnel? 
well, I'm leaving money on the table by not doing that, but I'm okay with it. And I, mm -hmm. I kind of talk myself into this. And then in addition, I believe, I mean, Dean Jackson and I were, um, he came to my mastermind, he spoke, and we were talking about this concept of, and I call it fishing without bait. And so, you know, you're in a boat on a lake and you throw your, your pole in the water with, you know, bait on it and the fish in the water are your prospects or whatever, it's your list. And some bite, you bring them in, you hope to, they pay for the product or they don't return it. And then you sell them a lot more. That's your funnel. So it could be free push shipping and handling in this case. And then you sell them other stuff. Perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. What Dean and I talked about um, was instead of that, I want to get you on my list, give you just information that I, I can share. I, I do blog, I have blog posts. In fact, one of the bonuses on overdeliverbook.com is a um, is a is a is the lost chapters of Overdeliver. And what that is is everything I've written since last August when the book went to the press. Wow. And that's another 178 pages. So that's what I do every week. And so the difference between putting a pole in the water with bait is that you're shining a light on the lake all the time. And that's your content. And the fish can see it, but they're not doing anything because they're not ready. Right. And and the point is that when you're when they're ready, the fish will jump into the boat. And right. that so again, to answer your question. I, I like that model better. It's more congruent with who I am and who I've been my whole career. And not that free push shipping and handling isn't a wonderful model, but it wasn't for me. And I decided to go with this. And I, I may not sell as many books, but the books I sell will be incredible people. It'll be it'll be a list of it'll be a, a list of of quality as opposed to quantity. Yeah, really good about it. That's interesting. It's it's a lot of what we talked about back when I interviewed you about a year ago for Entrepreneur Magazine. I think it was. It was about the list, right? Yeah. And it was, you were like, I'm happy if I get 10 new people on my list. I'm not going for a thousand. Right. Um, um, so, okay. This is fascinating. I, I thank you so much. I have um, a sort of, don't let these two words together stress you out, but a lightning round for that I always ask people at the okay. very end, what is your morning routine? I, um, my morning routine is, I, well, first of all, after seeing, um, uh, Arianna Huffington speak at, at Joe's, uh, Genius Network event a couple of years ago, I, uh, my phone is, I, I don't bring it upstairs. Yeah. It's yeah. downstairs. So the first thing I do is not check my phone. So yep. that's what I don't do. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't really meditate, but I, I try to, you know, sit on the edge of my bed, think about my day, go in and brush my teeth, but it's not anything extravagant. And then I go downstairs, I have coffee. I still don't grab my phone. I, I just try to think about, you know, get my day in order. I do, um, I do the prompts from the five minute journal, which are, you know, what are you, what, what are you grateful for today? Um, um, what are three things that if they happen today to be really cool? And then uh, some affirmations. And then I start, you know, I go to my phone and then I actually, or I go right downstairs and go on my computer, which is easier than my phone. And I start checking email and all of that. But I, I got some time in the morning where I don't, I don't do much except think. And I, I try to eat something, you know, mm -hmm. something nutritional or something. 
I love it. What is a book that has changed your life? I have three that I think. So one is Breakthrough Advertising by Gene Schwartz. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the most amazing book because it looks like a book on marketing and copywriting, but it's a book about human nature and human behavior. And I sell it. So that's one reason why I love it. But I loved, I wanted to sell it because I love it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gene has been introduced to a whole new generation of marketers. And it's so refreshing to do that. And then the other two that are really meaningful to me are uh, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Um, you know, I, I really, I just, I read that since my stroke, you know, just reminding myself of what my personal legend is, not legacy, but what, what my personal legend is. And it was, it was very valuable. And the third is kind of a, I thought it was going to be a throwaway book and it's a great book called Give and Take by Adam Grant. Yeah. And, and that's, I have a little section in my book about it because it's so powerful. Givers, takers, matchers. And I think, you know, they always say, you know, who are the people that are least successful? They're givers. Who are the most successful? They're givers. And then, you know, how you give and how you contribute to other people. I mean, I have a whole section in my book about the power of 100 zero, which I kind of took from the Landmark Forum, but I also kind of took it from give and take. I, I, I saw a lot of the same things, mm -hmm. um, but you can't do a hundred zero with everybody because there are takers out there. Yep. That's yep. the differentiator. And that's why Adam Grant's book was so meaningful. Do you have a favorite quote? I got a bunch. Um, uh, God. So, um, you know, you only go through life once. You might as well be the world's best. I've got uh, life is long as opposed to life is short, yeah. which was very meaningful to me uh, recently. Yeah. Um, and then I have some business ones, which is follow the anecdotal evidence that, you know, most things have been invented before. And, you know, how I got into the infomercial business, for instance, I wanted to get into it in 1989. I couldn't find the answer. I got to the answer in 2004 when I had insomnia and I saw an infomercial and it clicked. And... I just followed the anecdotal evidence took me, that one took me a long time, but, um, and, and then, you know, I think, um, I also believe first find out if you have a business, meaning that if you're going to launch something or start something, what are the minimal tests that you have to do to, to, to find out if you have a business before you can move on yeah. as opposed to try all the testing all at the beginning and all of that. Those are some quick ones. But Good. I love it. Um, I always ask about mentors. You've already mentioned you've had many. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I got a bunch. Um, I'll, you know, if I look at my book, it's everybody who, who, uh, who gave me a blur, but you know, uh, Marty Edelston, who's, who's not alive anymore. He's the founder of boardroom. He's the one that basically made me an, uh, an entrepreneur and entrepreneur. And, uh, He's probably the number one, but, you know, Dan Kennedy, Gary Bensavenga, Jeff Walker, Dan Sullivan, um, those are some of the big ones. And then, you know, people like Richard Vigory and um, uh, Frank Kern and Bill Bonner and Joe Polish and Joe Sugarman and just, you know, I, and I said before, at the beginning, I said, you know, the whole thing about your mentors choose you, you don't choose your mentors. Yeah. I did a video on that and it's, it, it's a short video and basically what it says, and I'm sure you know this because you, you're, you're in tune with this very much, that you, know, that you can't go around and say, 
you know, will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? Will you be my mentor? It doesn't work that way. It, yeah. it works because you contribute. This is what Joe talks about in Genius Network. You have to contribute to somebody at a, at a, with no expectation of a return. And if it's someone you want them to be your mentor, contribute more to them without expectation of return. And some of my most amazing mentors, Gene Schwartz, Dick Benson, um, you know, many others that I figured out something that I had that they needed. In those yeah. two cases, it was, it was list knowledge. I, I helped them with their list plans. I helped them, no charge, no nothing, didn't expect anything. And I got them to be my mentor for my entire life. Yeah. And if it weren't, it still would have been great doing that for them. But that's kind of the attitude you have to have. And your mentors will choose you. And I've done it for, you know, the same way for 40 years. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. It works way more than it doesn't. Yeah. I, I have seen the same thing. Now, what is your best quality? Some people say I'm the, I'm the, I don't know if this is a compliment or not. They say I'm the nicest guy in direct marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say I'm a kindler, gentler Dan Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I think, I think it's that, um, you know, it's, it's, it's based on a quote, I think. And it was a quote from Lee Richter who gave me this quote and it was, she spoke at my mastermind and she got up there and she says, I walk in a room and I don't expect anything. And I think I'm this, I, I may expect, not expect, I may want something at some point from that room uh, with a hot seat or with a question or something like that. But I always walk in, the, in a room not expecting anything. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I get so much more. So I guess, I guess that's the quality. And maybe, and maybe it's that I, I over deliver. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that I, I, I'd like to think I over deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for some people I don't, but I think for many people in my life I do. Um, and so that would probably be my best quality. I forgot uh, to ask spiritual practice. Do you have one? You know, it's, it's not, it's not a, uh, it's not religious, that's for sure. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's what I call serendipitous, um, I call not serendipitous luck, but serendipitous, um, um, good fortune. And what I mean by that, and going back to a hundred zero, so I'm giving a hundred zero here, a hundred zero here. And this person doesn't give me anything for my hundred. And then maybe, I do another 100 or I do another 80 and they still don't give me anything. At some point I might give up or I might not, I don't know. But if I do that and then something comes out from over here that had nothing to do with that, I consider that connected. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. kind of like Saren. So that's, I, I, I think that's kind of spiritual, is it? I mean. Well, it's having faith yes. that, that whatever you do will pay off often in unexpected ways. Yes. Yeah. So that would be my spiritual practice. What's your worst quality? I think it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's not getting so wound up with all of this over delivery and giving that I, I sometimes neglect the people closest to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm working on, I've been working on that. I've been married for, 34 years. So 
I work on it every day. I work on it with my kids. Um, and I don't want them because they're the most important thing to me. And I guess you, you know, tend to take them for granted. So I think maybe taking some things for granted and certainly the stroke helped me get that in line a little bit more. And that was really useful. And how do you define dark emotionally? Dark for me is if um, I think that these are really good questions. Um, <laughs> I'd say dark for me is um, um, if, if I think that I, I'm being arrogant or if my ego takes over or if, I mean, I want to share and I want to sh not show off, but I want to, I want to brag about what I've done, but not in a, in an arrogant way. Mm -hmm. And so if I think that, you know, there's a, there's a thin line between confidence and arrogance, I think. Mm -hmm. And if, if I feel like I've crossed over into arrogance with somebody or in some speech I gave or something I wrote or something like that, um, I, it stays with me for a longer time than a lot, almost anything else. So that's a dark place for me. And in fact, I had, I had, I always read the one star reviews on Amazon before I read the five star. And one of the one star reviews for my book was someone who said, you know, Brian needs to get over himself or Brian needs to, you know, he, he's too, you know, it's about me being kind of braggadocious and all of that. And like, I work so hard to not have that in my book. So there's enough in my book that this guy got it. And so I, you know, it, that's a little dark for me, but I don't, I don't stay there too long, but I want to have that dark moment so that, you know, all of the Brian, you're the greatest, um, doesn't go to my head and, you know, it keeps you, it keeps you, uh, grounded. And how do you define, last question, how do you define light? Um, light when, when, when I was, you know, I realized when I was depressed right after my stroke, I, I had a lot, very little light. And so what gave me light would be the best way I can think of it right now. Cause it's current. And it was, um, um, sharing my experiences, being with people like, you know, not having been at an event for like, you know, three months, like, you know, I'm like, you know, I don't have, I don't have FOMO. I had Tom's, which is terrified of missing shit. I, mean, <laughs> I was like just missing shit. And, and so I, that I can get back into that and with my family, you know, I, I didn't have any visitors the first couple of months and now I've invited my friends over and I got, I'm back in a mode of being with the world. And that gives me that, that I think that's light. Brian. You finished. This was amazing. Anybody listening, go to overdeliverbook.com. Yeah. .com. Um, I can't thank you enough for this. It was lovely. Yeah, this was great. You you uh you got this uh, you got this podcast thing nailed. Well, thank you. What a great <laughs> note to end on.